You're listening to The B Word Unpacked, brought to you by Goodstock Consulting. Hey, hey, listeners. Welcome back to The B Word Unpacked with Goodstock. Now today, ladies, we are unpacking the word broke. And why? Because we need to hear it. Like me and broke, we don't get along. I'm allergic to it. But at the same time, I realize that there is a serious wealth gap in our country. And it is important that we identify tools that we can use collectively to get ahead as a as a community. So we know that money can't buy you happiness, but I can promise you that. But it can surely help. Am I right? Yes, absolutely. Yes, you are right. You know, my sister and I bought our first investment property last year to add to our financial portfolio, and that process wasn't very easy. There was so much I didn't know, and I am still learning. But that said, I am so, so glad we were able to do it. It's a solid investment for both of our futures. So, ladies, lightning round. Tell me one thing you wish you knew about money management in your 20s. Now, This is Ebony. Let me go ahead and say this. Um, You have to remember that in my 20s, I didn't necessarily have a job. Like my (laughs) my first jobs were working at Foot Locker. Shout out Foot Locker. (laughs) Right. And I served as a a hostess in a seafood restaurant called Blue Bay for like two months before I was fired slash quit um, for for, um, fighting the man. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But (laughs) in my 20s, right, that's a long story, but I bet he won't say nothing to my sister again. But anyway, fast forward. Um, Go ahead to launch. Go ahead to launch. (laughs) Beyonce is a launch. It's true. But in my 20s, um, I didn't have a job. My job was literally school. So I went to, you know, college and then straight to medical school. Um, But so my only income was really student loans. Now, I went to college and med school for free. My tuition was completely covered, but I took out student loans for living expenses. And I think in looking back, if I could tell my 20-year-old self what to do, it would be that instead of using those student loans to pay for rent, invest in a foreclosed home and buy a house, fix it up, and then years later, either flip it or have um, tenants that can rent it from you and and generate income in that way. Yeah, Mm -hmm. absolutely. You know, I've been fortunate to have some pretty strong women in my life who made a point to give me solid financial advice in my teens and in my 20s. Shout out to Miss Emma Perry, who stressed to me (laughs) that every woman had to have her own pot of money of special savings, separate from her mama, separate from her partner, and that every woman should pay herself first, be that 5% or 10% of your pay, whatever. She just said, put that mess on auto transfer and forget about it until you either need it or until you want it. That right. said, you know, I really wish I would have spent less of my money on frivolous things in my 20s. Y'all, I straight up lived in H&M. <laughs> I mean, I had new outfits on heavy rotation there and a lot go. of, I mean, heavy. And it's like, <laughs> it's ridiculous. Stay cute. I was, I was trying to stay cute and I really wish I hadn't have spent that much money on things that I only wore like two, three times, right. whether that was Wait. clothes or shoes or books or magazines. It just all seems frivolous and that in hindsight, all those thousands of dollars could have been spent on something much more meaningful, be that like a trip or be that a financial investment, but certainly not living out of H&M. Yeah, unless you're buying stock in H&M, right? Exactly. Right. Yeah, I wish I had taken my 401k more seriously. Um, I started working full time, y'all know, 
at the age of 19 in the basement of Pamela Health Hospital, <laughs> back when medical records were actual paper charts that had to be right. filed in this big-ass file room, and we had to tube them or walk them up to the floors. And so from 2.30 to 11, that's where I was at Pamela Health. And I made $8.78 an hour, plus $1 for my shift diff. That's right, because I was working second shift. Go and give me my shift diff. Um, but it, and it didn't sound like a whole lot. But, you know, I didn't have a whole lot of bills. And I really could have invested more. Um, one thing I did do that I'm proud of, I did buy a house when I was 24. And I still have it today as rental property. Shout out to my dad for the forceful encouragement. But outside of that, I really squandered a lot. Just like Kelly said, stay cute, looked mm-hmm. fly, broke as hell. Girl, girl, broken bougie, bougie. fortunately, (laughs) fortunately, ladies, we have someone here today that can help. So let's jump into the B side and unpack our finances with our special guest, my homegirl, Dawn Mayberry Chestnut of Mayberry Consulting and District Capital. Hey, hey. welcome Welcome to to the B side. So Dawn, welcome to the B pack. Listeners, I have known Dawn since we lived in the same dorm freshman year. Shout out class of 99. <laughs> um, <laughs> we have studied together and partied together and traveled the world together and shared many ups and downs. So, hey, hey, sister friend. Hey, Kelly. That is certainly right. <laughs> um, I'm so happy to be here sharing in this journey with you, too, the new podcast, uh, The B Word Unpack, along with you um, and Ebony and Kim. Nice to meet you two ladies virtually. Hey, and I'm so honored. I'm so honored by the invitation. Well, Dawn, Thank we are you. excited to have you here. And I'll say that Dawn evolved from believing that financial planning is not for someone of her socioeconomic background to straight up teaching financial literacy classes to underserved communities. Dawn became a full-fledged licensed fiduciary financial planner with a mission to help people of color make educated financial decisions. She does this both through her consulting firm, Mabry Consulting, as well as through district capital management. Now, Dawn established her consulting group more than nine years ago. Way to step out on faith and become an entrepreneur in your early 30s. And is also a licensed Thank you. yes yes very impressed and is also a licensed registered investment advisor now i got to brag on her just a little bit more listeners cuz she's done some pretty baller stuff she also worked for several political figures including bill clinton what yep former secretary of state Hillary Clinton, and perhaps the biggest name that I'm going to drop that she can be proud of having crossed paths with and rubbed elbows with, Mr. Nelson Mandela himself. So, Dawn, what the what is correct. Yes, you better read those receipts. receipts. So, my girl is a bona fide powerhouse. And, um, Dawn, tell us a little bit about your journey. How'd you get here and why finance? Oh, goodness, Kelly. Hearing you read that, you've taken me back to my past life. (laughs) Some of my past life. (laughs) Um, But, yes, um, I did start my career in politics. I was a political science major in undergrad and went full steam ahead into politics. But somewhere along that path, um, just decided that I wanted to switch. I wanted to do something that I felt was more close and near and dear um, to what I cared about. And what I cared about was 
you know, folks coming from the types of backgrounds I came from, you know, I came from working class family. There are about nine kids in the family I grew up in. I have eight other siblings. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> so, you know, money was tight on a working class, you know, family budget. Um, that's a small um, village, and, Don. You know, yeah. We, it's a small <laughs> village. That's a small village. That's a small village, yeah, Don. Yes, yes. Yeah. Exactly. And, you know, we, you know, didn't get a lot of opportunity to talk about managing finances and learn that sort of thing growing up. So I didn't learn it until, and unfortunately, our society um, didn't really make that a part of our curriculum, K through 12 or college or anything Mm -hmm. like that. So, you know, I didn't, you know, figure out some of this stuff until after college and at the point where I needed to buy life insurance or when I got to buying a home with my husband. And that's where I was learning on the job. I think you, I heard you say earlier, Kelly, that you were learning about buying rental property Mm -hmm. as you and your sister were doing it this year and how you learned a lot and still have a lot to learn. And so that's kind of where I was. And I just wanted to do something to give back. So I started volunteering at different sort of financial literacy organizations. And that was great. But that took me, you know, I, some of my students would come up to me with all of their paperwork in their hand after class. And they wanted more and needed more hands-on, one-on-one, unique, you know, customized advice for their particular circumstances. And so after I got that certification, I went on to become, you know, an actual financial planner and got some of the certifications there that are necessary so that I can start to work with people one-on-one and giving them the customized, um, you know, tools that they need to put themselves in a financial, better financial situation. You better work. Listen, because I tell you what, Don, I need that (laughs) (laughs) one-on-one. I truly am. I'm so glad that you are here because I I am interested in now learning how to truly protect and grow my earnings. Like you, I I grew up poor, single parent home. Um, My mom and and three sisters, we were all we we all we got. Right. And so. um, Right. Right. And I'm sure that had an effect on how I value and how I spend money. You know, because now, although I'm a physician and I make great money and to tell you the truth, some months I make more than my mom made in a whole year. And that to me is mm-hmm. like mind blowing. Mm-hmm. But because of where I grew up, I am the most frugal person that you ever want to meet. Like if my spending account gets below a, a few zeros um, behind a digit, I start to freak out because me and broke, like I said, we don't get along. <laughs> and the only thing worse than me and broke for me is debt. I, I don't like debt. So if I can't pay for it in cash, I don't want it. And, you know, and it's, it's one of these things that people make fun of me. Like, like Kim teases me because I wear bear claws. They do not. They're the same kind of they shoe. Do, they are not. No, they're not, they, friend. They, they look just like bear claws. <laughs> they look just like bear claws. They are the same kind of shoes as Ugg. So why am I going to pay $150 for some yeah. Uggs, but I can get two pair of bear claws for like $35? Because you're going to need all both pairs of them bear claws. <laughs> Y'all not going to do me. You're going to need all both. Let me talk to the expert, okay? Let me talk to dog. Okay, because I do have two serious questions for you. One is, what are some tools or tips you would offer for people that are interested in growing their wealth without having to add another job, right? And then two, what advice do you have to our younger listeners who may just be starting off in their career and may not feel like at this point in time they have enough money to actually begin the process of saving or investing? Um, I really like those questions. And I really, what you just said, 
without having to take on another job, that's really key. Because we live in this gig economy now where it's all about having this side hustle, that side mm-hmm, hustle. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we're going to side hustle ourselves out. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I'm really glad you asked that question, how to earn and how can we get and grow our wealth without taking on so much, you know, job responsibility. And some of the things I would say is being smart with some of what you have right now. So if you have a savings account, is it in a high-yield savings account? So there are savings accounts, and then there are other types of savings accounts where they have a little more higher interest. So make sure you're in one of those high-interest savings accounts. Just transfer your existing uh, savings that might be making 1% or less than 1% and move it to something that's making a little bit more. Another uh, tip I would give in regards to growing wealth without adding another job is taking advantage of compound interest mm. by contributing consistently to your retirement and your investment account. So that's money that's working for you um, while you sleep. And your interest is growing interest. So take advantage of those types of, of tools and resources. Um, I have a couple of others here. Um, living within our means is certainly one of them. I think I heard you ladies talking um, a little to that effect in some of your earlier dialogue in this, in this podcast. But certainly living within your means, stop spending more than what you are bringing home on a monthly basis. And when we get those incremental raises on our jobs from time to time, this is an old saying, or maybe it was a book, I don't know. Don't spend your raise. Save <laughs> <Yep. laughs> it. Put it away right. for a rainy day. <laughs> so in terms of growing your wealth without taking on another job, those are some of the things that I, I will point out. Now, in terms of your second question, speaking to the younger people who think they just don't have enough because they're starting out, they're not making, you know, all the millions of bucks we thought we were going to make at that age, right, out of coming out of school and that sort of thing. Um, my suggestion to them is what I wish someone had told me when I was that age is, um, first of all, I think we really have to sit down and have a conversation with ourselves about our priorities. Mm, and yes. I, we, and we talked about this already, mm-hmm. that those young ages, those tender ages, our priorities were in keeping up with the Joneses, having the latest, whatever it was, clothing in this, you know, and in this day and time, it's cell phones and all that kind of stuff, the latest technology, but really sit down with yourself and, like, think through what your priorities are and where you put your money. That really says where your priorities are. And really, you know, coming and having some grown-up, making some grown-up decisions about what those priorities are. And also think that don't think about the amount. Yes, at a young age, you might not be making a lot of money just yet, but it's not so much the amount that you put away. At that young age, it's really important for us to just start develop a habit of mm-hmm. prioritizing ourselves and getting into the habit of putting something away every time we get paid. So if you don't have a lot to give, that's fine. Just begin to develop a habit. Put it on autopilot if you have to, of giving something to either putting it in an emergency savings account or putting it into your retirement account because given the power of compound interest, you're really benefiting yourself in the long run by starting so early and putting away that money. Mm-hmm. Now, Don, I just heard you say 
don't worry about the amount. But I need an amount, Don. I mean, how does one set a savings goal? I'm a concrete person. I need a goal. I need I need you to tell me how much money, buy when, where do I leave the money? With whom do I trust the money? Like how I need a plan. How much of a plan? Like is there a percentage that I can should consider when I start savings? Like give me some insight. Right. No, no, you're absolutely right. And when I say don't worry about the amount, I might, what my point is, don't worry about if it's not the 100 or 200 or whatever the case gotcha. you think it should be at this point. And even if it's not that full 5 or 10% that, you know, you know, you hear that you should save, my point is just to start putting away something. But what you just described, Kim, mm-hmm. was you, what you the smartest described as what we call smart goals, mm. specific, knowing exactly how much you want to save, measurable. So the SMART is an acronym, measurable. Know how you'll go about saving that little bit at a time to meet that larger goal down the road. A, in the word SMART, assignable. Who is responsible for meeting that goal? Who's putting that money away? R, relevant. What purpose are we saving this money? I found that it is so powerful that when I know you're, sa- you're saving for a specific purpose yeah. that mm-hmm. motivates you more and keep you more accountable and on track with meeting your savings goal because you're like, okay, I do want to take that vacation yes. in six months. So, you know, that yes, kind I of do. Thing. <laughs> and smart, time specific. What deadline um, do you are you setting for yourself? for when you want to have that grand total save. So yes, I can completely agree with you that you got to get real concrete mm-hmm. with these savings goals. Yes. And that's one way you can sort of think about it, that SMART acronym. Don, I love that SMART acronym. In fact, as you were talking, I was like, damn, where's my pen and paper? Because I need to start <laughs> writing this down. This is, this is a life <laughs> lesson. Because I, I, I would think that would be too person-specific of what stage of life you're in. Like for... For me, one of one of the goals I have is that I need to have at least it used to be six months of emergency fund saved up. Now it's 12 months because I have room to move because I've paid off all my student loans and such. But what I made a, per, a point of when I was early in my career was not to beat myself up. If one month I could put aside just for sake of argument, just say one hundred dollars and the next month I only could do fifty dollars. I didn't mm-hmm. beat myself up on over it. Um, and I just made a point of saying, I'm going to do something, you know, and, and that just takes an awareness of what in my budget do I absolutely not need? Do I really need to go and um, and buy either another pair of shoes or do I need to go out to eat every single day? Or can I suffice to make some spaghetti and eat that for two or three days? You know, <laughs> what, <laughs> what am I the rest and there, you go. there you go. It's even better <laughs> on day seven. Right. <laughs> tuna on it and a little bit of cheese it is gourmet <laughs> spaghetti so, spaghetti right, right. so dawn well you know talk to us about investments so i mentioned earlier that me and my sister gia invested in a property and it felt right because the housing market in charleston i mean the real estate was booming the washington Re- uh, scratch should i record all the way from the beginning what about investments I mentioned earlier that we invest in property and it felt right because the housing market in Charleston was prime for real estate and it just felt like the right time for me and my sister Gia to strike. The Washington Post reports that housing costs will likely uh, increase a little over 4% in 2020. So 
Don, tell our listeners, you know, how do people best determine where they invest their money? Gotcha. No, that's a very good question, Kelly. Um, and it goes back to something I said earlier. You've got to understand what you're saving, this, what the purpose of this money is for that you're saving. So the first thing is to understand several factors. For what purpose you're investing, when, if ever, if you'd like to pull that money out of that um, investment, and what is your risk tolerance. Hmm. Um, hmm. So just to name a couple of things. So if you are trying to get that three to six emergency, three to six months emergency save, you would save that. You wouldn't put that in an investment account. You'd probably put that in one of the higher yielder, uh, yielding savings accounts. If you're looking, thinking about your children and you're thinking about saving either for their education, and there are special savings accounts for even children with special needs. Wow. They're called ABLE savings accounts. So if you're thinking about saving for your kids in either of those two capacities, education, there are 529 education savings plans mm -hmm. that parents can start and put money away for their children, special needs, the ABLE account. And with both of those accounts, you get tax breaks. The parents mm -hmm. will get tax breaks for putting money away into those types of accounts. So, again, that's for kids. If you're thinking about retirement, um, there are special types of retirement accounts. Of course, your employer-sponsored plan. If you're self-employed, it might not have a, you know, you're not a salary employee, and therefore you don't have an employer plan. There are retirement accounts that are specific for the self-employed. So you would look at those type of investment accounts for that purpose. Um, you talked about, Kelly, uh, real estate investing. That's a little bit more complicated. It takes you understanding certain things. But with rental property, you're looking at possibly two different types of income. You're looking at monthly income from what you're going to be renting that property out mm -hmm. on a monthly basis for. Mm -hmm. And you're also possibly looking at, depending on the market and where you're buying, appreciation down the road when you want to sell that property. So there are different types of investing tools for your different types of what you're trying to get out of your investment. And, what, and it all has to do with what, the purpose of what you're trying to raise that money for, when you want to pull that money out, if ever, and what your risk tolerance level is. Of course, rental property might be a little bit more riskier than a high-yield savings account. So really, people have to really sit down and think through what they re you really have to map out you don't you just don't jump in the the savings pool you really sort of have to sort of map out what you're trying to do and you're being more strategic about it and it's going to make sense for you um in the long run don i like that you mentioned the 529 i know me and my husband were looking into it for our kids it was really like a pretty simple process and it's a nominal fee to yeah. get it started um it was under what what it what is it really? I think was it fifty dollars or was it like five hundred dollars? But it wasn't more than a thousand dollars to get the account started, and then you can contribute how much you want each month after that. Right. It, it, yeah, it runs very similarly to like a, a retirement account. Yeah. You pick your investments you want, and then you start putting away every month. It's very similar to how if you understand how your work employed your employer provided retirement plan works. That works very similar. Yeah. And questions about that 529, because I overheard some of my coworkers speaking about this. But um, so 529s are used towards tuition and then any other college expense, correct? 
I wouldn't say any when it comes to these types of um, programs and benefits that the government is giving you. I wouldn't. I'd be very clear to read the fine print. And in every state, it'll they'll tinker with it a little differently because it's run by the state. Right. So every state will have their own rules. So I would advise your friend, whatever state she's in, pull down the actual 529 rules specific to that state so that they know exactly what um, types of expenses are allowed. Right. Like, tuition, definitely. But when you get into some of those other expenses, you want to make sure you pull down that information and read what your specific state has to say about it. Right, because this coworker in particular found a loophole of where they mm -hmm. could use because their their child had a full scholarship. So then they were like, "Well, what do we do with this money?" And they found a loophole of where they could actually buy a house and say that was the child's dorm room, wow. and that the child was paying them rent. And so they used that money that was, you know, a tax saver for them, and ended up purchasing a home that was an investment for her. So it was. Yeah, so right. definitely win, win, show win. money to make money. Right. Win, win, Read win. that fine print. Yes. But, you know, and it's yeah. things though, you know, with all this talk about money, we do have to realize that the majority of, you know, a, a good portion of America doesn't have this extra money that we're talking about. In South Carolina alone, 22% of our children in South Carolina are living below the level of poverty. And so we know their families are, are kind of. I'm struggling just to not only, you know, make ends meet, but just day merely to, to survive. So yeah. we have to acknowledge the significant wealth um, and, and wage gap that is of America. Like the Washington Post, for instance, is reporting that the wealth gap in America is the highest it's been, y'all, in the last 50 years, according to the Census Bureau. True, Eb, so true. I, I have a few more data points, and these are from Forbes, and that is, according to Forbes, the average white family had more than $130,000 in retirement savings versus black families who averaged around $19,000. And the median household income for white families, their household income was $13 in a net uh, worth versus $1 for every black family. Yeah. So Dawn, you know, what do these data points make you think about? How do these data points make you feel? Yeah, I, I'm in the profession where I see and hear these numbers, you know, on a regular basis. Um, and it's just really sort of sobering for me. And truly, and it's just re re part of the reason why I made a career change to the financial planning field so that I can start to make a difference and make an impact in whatever very small and minute way that I can um, with a specific focus of working in communities of color um, to try to, you know, see what can be done to reverse this. But it's just really, you know, sad and it's a... It's, it's a problem that's not going to be, you know, solved by any one, you know, effort or financial planner. It really takes us coming together, you know, as a community and doing what we can, on both on the practitioner side and also on the advocacy side, fighting for the types of laws and that sort of thing that need to be addressed to sort of make things a little bit more of a level playing field. But it's just, it's just truly sad. It, it is. is. 
And even sadder, Don, progress in closing the gender and race gaps are slower than ever. If the pace of change in the annual earnings ratio were to continue at the same rate as it has since 1984, yeah, it would take another 39 years, so 2059, for women and men to reach earning parity. And substantially longer for women of color. So black women, so us, it would take us until 2119 and Hispanic women, 2224. That's nuts. Women of all major racial and ethnic groups earn less than men of the same group and also earn less than white men. And and the crazy thing about that is that we know that when we as women, when we are financially stable, that our house, our household does better, right? Like we overall, we reduce the family poverty. So- Don, with your expertise, what do you suggest we as women do? Like, where should we start this process of creating our own financial freedom? You know, sometimes as I talk to clients, you know, you come to realize that you're really more than someone dispensing advice to someone. You kind of are part counselor because really when you get down to it, into the core of why someone might not be doing um, you know, the best things with their money. A lot of it is we just weren't educated. Um, but another part of it is, is that, you know, we have stuff that is ingrained in us from our youth. I talked earlier about, you know, I didn't grow up in a family where we talked about money and that sort of thing. So it's just not part of our, you know, our habit. And for those of us who are not in that position of feeling particularly financially free, just think sometimes, thinking through why that might be. And it's, you know, think back to our youth, you know, what kind of lessons did we see around money and deal with those kinds of issues um, and see if there's anything, you know, anything from our youth that we need to shape. Me personally, you know, I kind of, you know, Kelly mentioned in my bucko that, you know, I came from a position where I didn't think, you know, financial planning was for someone like me because, you know, I grew up, generations of women, you know, handling the home front, taking care of the bills and that right. sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And I never told them or heard them talk about a financial planner. I'm like, if, you know, the person that raised me, you know, raised nine kids and never had a financial planner, what wow. do I need a financial she planner wrote. for? Kind of thing. So it's really like thinking through that stuff and really just trying to take yourself to the next level and getting all the education you can around it. And secondly, just knowing I think, Kelly, you mentioned this earlier, that you have to be engaged and active in the process. It's not about sitting back and letting someone else handle that for you, whether that be a parent, you know, that might be able to help you out financially. And I'm not saying that they can't do that. I'm just saying you have to be engaged and active or your partner who's handling the book or that case, or even in, you know, my position, if I'm a financial planner, you don't just hire for a financial planner and think, oh, now everything's going to be solved. Mm-hmm. No, nope, you're still active. You're still engaged. Mm-hmm. There's still things you need to do um, that might need to be done to address, you know, getting yourself on the right financial track that you want to be on. Damn, Thon, because I kind of just want to give you my pocketbook and ask you to please just figure it out. Just, <laughs> just figure it out and give it back when you're done. Just figure it out. Tell me what I'm supposed to do. Write down them smart goals for me, please. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> you hear me? I need all the letters. All of them. All of right. them. Right. Well, ladies, in the words of the great Queen B, yes. all right, ladies, now let's get information. Um, and one of my favorite lines Always stay gracious. The best revenge is your paper. So 
using all Damn. of this great financial advice, what would you say to a listener who might be starting a new financial plan in 2020? Well, for me, for starters, whether young or old, my number one advice would be don't try to keep up with the Joneses. Stack the bag by investing in yourself first mm-hmm. and live what below your What if I'm trying to keep up with the Carters? What about the Carters? Right, right. <laughs> In the orange crates of, of clothes. Girl. Okay, I'm not doing that. I use a bottle of water, but I ain't saying no. But surely, but live below your means and think so. Think of ways that you can invest with the simplest being these high interest savings accounts. I personally use Capital One 360. Um, it's online. It's easy to find, um, and that way it's a current interest for you. But also, one of the things I'm concentrating on now is mimicking what other cultures do as far as combining and pooling their wealth. Like we see Hispanic cultures and we see Asian cultures literally living with each other, Mm -hmm. um, multiple families in order to kind of save up money and invest in, in restaurants and invest in, in nail parlors, things that we as black people are being the consumer um, of those, of those services. But we can start those things ourselves. One of the things I did recently, my sister was talking to me about her student loans and, um, and, you know, her and her husband, they are been working, they work hard, they have a, a beautiful house, a beautiful home, and trying to take care of their, their kids. And when she mentioned the student loans, I was like, wait, you're still, you still have student loans? She was like, yes. I was like, well, let me pay them off. Um, and, and that's the thing. We don't, as family members, we don't speak about our, our um, financial, um, not even woes. My, my sister and, and brother-in-law are doing fantastic by themselves, but we don't talk about our financial situations. And my thought is I can pay those student loans off for you and you not have to pay all that interest and you can keep those, that money you were going to be paying for interest and invest it into your home, invest it into your kids' education so they don't have to take out student loans like we did. So right. just really talking to your family members and saying what, even if it's 5 or $10 a month that each person can contribute, what can we use that money to do to compound interest and compound and make money while we sleep? Okay, all I heard was Eb is paying off student loans. And so after we get off this mic, friend, <laughs> sister girlfriend, you know I love you. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about Listen, it. Each one, each if, one, if do that's one. what we're doing. Okay. But Your I love what you said. We're building houses. Hello, hello. In Hollywood. pay off them loans and we'll build you a porch (laughs) but honestly i love what you said about the cultures i even think of the jewish culture how they invest in their own communities and in their histories and making sure that they're um spending their money and spending their dollar and it's flipping over in their community so yeah that is something that we could learn from my lesson um to listeners would be to start low go slow and be concrete you know, write out the plan. Don gave us some great tools about the SMART goals um, and update it regularly. If you're like me, you will need an accountability partner to help you keep track and to even help you celebrate. But of course, in a low cost celebration. OK, low cost. But still bring somebody along for the journey because you don't know if your teachings or your trials and triumphs may encourage or motivate someone else. What I would ask our listeners to do, and it's something that I've done for myself over the years, is to set concrete goals and to stick with them. You know, you can open a savings account and label it by the name of that special thing that you've been lusting after, be that a new car, a vacation, a designer bag, you name it. So I can distinctly remember a season of my life where I had a little savings account that just said Jamaica. So... (laughs) 
<laughs> you know, but if you set the account by the name of what it, you actually want, when you see the money start to stack up towards it, you recognize, okay, I am achieving this goal. It makes it feel so much more tangible and having that thing all the sweeter. That's a good one, Kelly. I like that. What about you, Don? What would you say? I know you've already given us a whole lot, but if you could leave one nugget with listeners, what would you say? My nuggets would be this. Educate yourself on your money management. And you can start this on your own. You can start by getting a handle uh, with where you are currently with your finances. Determine what aspects of your finances may need improvement and write out that plan of action for making any necessary changes. And listen, this is a lot to get, you know, under wraps and we didn't get in, you know, the financial trouble we might be in right now overnight. And so it's not going to be, you know, fixed overnight. And if you need help with that process, there's a lot you can do to get started on your own. But if you need help with that process, you can certainly call around to a few financial planners and use resources like NAFPA.org, which lists planners who are fiduciaries. And you can interview those planners to see who can meet your specific needs. I say specific because you don't want a planner who's going to give you a cookie cutter plan. You want something that is specific to your unique needs. You also want to talk to a planner who you can trust and which are most cost effective. So when you call around a different financial planner, one of the purposes in doing so is making sure you're comparing costs to make sure you're not being overcharged. And just as important to getting a planner who meets your specific needs, who you can trust, and who is cost-effective, it's important for you to feel comfortable and have a good rapport with that financial planner if you choose to go that route. Because sometimes you're telling a financial planner some things about your finances that you haven't even told your spouse or anybody else in your life. Right. So you want to feel comfortable that you have a good rapport, working relationship um, with that person because it is an ongoing relationship that you are having with the financial planner. So those are my last nuggets. Dawn, can, it's been super helpful. Can you repeat the name of that website that they can check out? It's NAFPA. It's an acronym. N as in Nancy, A as in Apple, P as in Peter, F as in Frank, A as in Apple.org. It's one of the industry associations for financial planners. Got it. Gotcha. So, ladies, let's secure and grow the bag. Dawn, thank you, thank you, thank you on behalf of all of the women of Goodstock for joining yes. us today. Thank you. We appreciate you so much. BPAC, right. tell us what you thought about today's episodes in our comment section. Also, let us know if there's a B word that you want us to unpack in future episodes. Until the next time, let's keep unpacking. Learn more about Goodstock Consulting at www.goodstockconsulting.com. Be sure to follow on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn.